Well, good morning, fellowship. It's great to be with you this morning on a beautiful and chilly morning. Um, hey, would you guys stand with us? Uh, and we're going to sing some praises to the Lord. Praise the Lord, His mercy is more, stronger than darkness, new every morn, our sins they are many, His mercy is more. Omniscience, all-knowing, He counts not their sum. Thrown into a sea without bottom or shore. Our sins, they are many, His mercy is more. Praise the Lord, His mercy is
Clifton and it's his birthday. <laughs> Happy birthday, Houston. Houston leads worship with our student ministry and does a fantastic job. Once in a while, he pops over here to lead worship with us. Let this let the psalm speak to us. Psalm 63. You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods. And with singing lips, my mouth will praise you. May that be true of us today. Amen. Amen. That's why we gather here. Well, a couple of things. I want you to go ahead and get your phone out because I'm going to ask you to hold it up to a QR code in just a moment. There are some important things I want to tell you about. But welcome to you, especially to our guests. If this is your first time here or the first time in a long time, uh, there's a QR code on the screen for you right now. If you would let us know that you were here, it is great to have you at Fellowship. And if you don't know how to do that QR code, let me as a young guy tell you how to do it. You just hold your phone up there and it will automatically bring up the site that you need to go to. You tap that and it takes you right there. It's amazing, isn't it? It's amazing, all this technology. Uh, well, let's remember next week is daylight savings time. Clocks fall back next week. Going to get lighter early in the morning. I love it. I just love the time changes. And we have a new app here at Fellowship. Uh, a fellow by the name of Justin is standing at the back of the room. And you're about to meet him on video. But uh, watch this. Hey, Fellowship. I'm Justin Craning. Since the age of 12... Fellowship and its people have invested in me so much over the years, helped me grow and have an impact as a follower of Jesus. As a graphic and web designer here on staff of Fellowship, I'm so excited to share a new resource designed to help you do the same. Over the last year or so, I've been leading a team behind the scenes to bring a new Fellowship app to life. And it's not just an app, but a companion in the daily and weekly rhythms of you and your community. Whether it's praying and reading scripture, discussing the latest message with your community group, catching up on the latest news and events, or engaging with services and podcasts online, this app was designed with you in mind. And this is just the beginning. Over the next few weeks, we'll be sharing with you more on how to get the most out of your app experience. But for now, check out the events tab. All the opportunities we talk about in service, everything on your congregation's news page, it's all right there. So download the Fellowship Bible Church of Northwest Arkansas app today in the Apple or Google Play stores and begin exploring new ways to engage with one another in the home and in community. I asked Justin to step in here because he has worked on this for a year and a half and I just want to give you the opportunity to appreciate him for his hard work. Thank you, Justin. Yeah. 
Great job. I've been beta testing this for a while, and I am just amazed at all the things that you're able to do on that. It's going to be your one-stop shop for things at fellowship. Everything from the sermon guides, uh, discussion guides, I mean, to listening to the sermons, to finding out what news is going on at fellowship, for signing up for different things. It's going to be great. And so you can download that uh, and on at Apple uh, Store and the Google Play Store. You can download that to your phone. And then you can play with it after the service. Okay? Play with it after the service. But thank you so much, Justin. And you're going to be hearing more about it in the weeks to come about our new app. Um, Operation Christmas Child. It's time to pick up your boxes out there in the foyer. And you know, this is a great opportunity uh, to help make a difference around the world for children this Christmas and pick up those boxes now and get them taken care of and then start bringing them back. Uh, the Fellowship Legacy Gathering, that's a ministry for those more mature members of our congregation, more mature, like myself, gray hair. Uh, they're having gatherings each month, and next week there will be a gathering at 7 p.m. on Sunday night over, uh, I think it's in the Family Center, uh, it doesn't say here. Does it say up there? But anyway, they're going to be here. They will tell you uh, where they're going to be. You can go to the app and find out exactly where it's going to be, okay? Uh, but uh, I think it's going to be in the chapel. I've given you three different places where it's going to be, right? Uh, it's going to be here on the campus somewhere. Uh, but I think Andy Shook is a part of this uh, Ozark Quartet. You remember Andy? Maybe he'll wear his, paper, uh, his uh, purple suit, not his paper suit, his purple suit uh, when he comes to sing. But uh, you'll enjoy that next Sunday night. And then I want to take you to something. Um, uh, we are, Bentonville is coming along great. There's going to be a service next Sunday at 11 o'clock there at the Orchards Park. And the last one, I went there, and I couldn't believe all the people that were there. There were over a 1,000 people, and Lord knows how many kids were there. It's, it's going to be incredible. And so remember that. And also, if you go to that service, remember to bring a used coat or a new coat uh, and in canned goods. And they're going to partner with Samaritan Church to get those uh, distributed uh, through them. Also, we have a survey that we want you to take. And so you can hold that phone up to that QR code. Don't take a picture of it, but just hold it up there, and it'll take you to the survey. We need all of you to take the survey, all right? All of you to take the survey. It only takes 30 seconds, but this is what that survey is going to do. It's going to tell us who's going to be attending Fellowship Bentonville and who's going to be staying here. It will also tell us how many children are going to be there and how many children are going to be here so that we can be prepared to have classes ready for you so that it's not chaos on that first week, okay? And so if you... Uh, you can take the survey if you go through our app or you can go to fellowshiprogers.com or fellowshipbentonville, I mean fellowshiprogers.org or fellowshipbentonville.org and you can also take the survey there. But we need everybody by November the 15th to take that survey. Now, Fellowship Bentonville is coming along. Of course, we're, you've heard us say we're going to open the doors on February the 27th, 2022. And uh, we are amazed at your giving to this project. As a matter of fact, you've given over $17 million to this project over the last four years. Incredible. 
Incredible generosity to this church. And I will say, this picture was taken this past week. There are parts of this building, all they need to do is lay the carpet, and it'll be ready to go. Uh, but you can see how much progress has been done on all this, and we have yet to borrow a dime. Yet to borrow a dime still. You have kept us ahead. Now, that is coming to an end fast, all right? We're about to run out of our cash that we have set aside for this, and so it's catching up to us. But we want to have this paid off by December of 2022. So that's our goal. We need everyone participating. If you go to fellowshipbentonville.org, there's a recurring gift tab there, uh, and we want to get this thing paid off at the same time that we pay off TGI. It will be paid off uh, the great investment. That was when we built several buildings on our campus. All of it will be paid off at the same time. So we're really exciting, excited about doing that. And we thank you for all of your help. Well, let's pray together as we prepare to worship this hour, okay? Just take a moment to let your soul be still. Be still and know that I am God, the psalmist said. Let all the distractions of the world just melt away as you come into God's presence and prepare to lift your voices and sing to Him, to learn more about His Word. All of that is called worship. We want our focus to be totally on Him. And so, Lord, we come to You. We ask that You would engage our minds that you would open our hearts for whatever you might have for us today. Walk these aisles. Speak to us. It's in your name we pray.
lift up these words would you make this your prayer strong and worship you and if it puts me in the fire I rejoice cause you're there too and I won't be formed by feelings I hold fast to what is true and if the cross brings transformation then I'll be crucified with you cause death is just a doorway like to draw attention to that chorus that we just sang together. We sang, Oh Christ be magnified. When I think of that lyric, I, I tend to think of it as being something that is external, wanting to see the person of Jesus magnified and brought into focus across the world, across the nations, for, for those that know him and, and also for those that don't know him. The next line is, let his praise arise. I think of this as external too. Let the praise of Jesus be on the lips of his people. But the third line that we sing is, is a little bit different. It's Christ be magnified in me. Going from things that we hope to see externally uh, to something that is internal. Would Christ be magnified in me? Would Jesus be made larger in my heart, in my soul, in my thinking, in my actions, in my very being. And so with that in mind, let's turn our attention uh, to this scripture out of uh, the Gospel of John. And this is uh, one of the seven I am statements of Jesus. I'll read it for you. It says, Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Whoever comes to me 
will never go hungry. When I read this, I can't help but to think of another place in the scriptures where the person of Jesus is compared to bread. And I think of the practice of communion that Jesus has invited us into to remember. And I think of him being compared to, or his body being compared to the bread broken for us. And we take that bread and we ingest it to internalize the reality that we have found life in the death and resurrection of Jesus. We do that to remember him. We do that to come to him. And so I ask you, church, this question, how are you coming to Jesus? How are you internalizing Jesus daily? How are you magnifying the person of Christ in yourself? And if you find yourself wondering or, or thinking, I, I, I don't know this morning, I invite you. Jesus wants to meet with, you, meet with you this morning in this place. Jesus wants to give you life this morning. He wants you to take part in his kingdom and the eternal life that he has for you. And he just asks you to come because it's free. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Another way that we can come to him is through a relationship of prayer. And last week, Pat sweetly led us through uh, saying the Lord's Prayer together. And it was really impactful for me and I would love for us to do it again. Um, so would you stand and let's, let's come to Christ together in prayer reciting the prayer that he taught us to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. You can have a seat. Alone. In Christ 
the ground His body lay Light of the world by darkness slain In bursting forth In glorious day
gather here this morning in a spirit of thankfulness and in a spirit of awe just to stand in your power, to stand in the freedom that you've given us, and to stand in the life that you have given us, Lord Jesus. God, thank you for these words that you've given us to pray. Thank you for revealing yourself to us by the power of your word. Holy Spirit, Lord, as we look into your word today, as we sit under teaching, would you guide our minds, would you draw our hearts closer to you? Would you transform us by the renewing of our minds? Would you form us closer into your image? God, we love you. We are grateful to be here singing your praise this morning. We pray all of this in the wonderful, beautiful name of Jesus. Amen. And you may be seated. I want to remind you that at the end of the service today, to your right, we have our prayer room. You can always go back there and someone will be there to pray with you. Uh, Or you can take communion. That's available to you every week. So always keep that in mind. I've also been told that the Legacy Gathering will be at the Training Center at 7 o'clock next week. (laughs) Correction comes quickly around here. That's at 7 o'clock, and it's not just for the more mature group. Anybody can come. They let you in. But uh, just keep that in mind. So what are we to do? What are we to do? Are we to... Continue to speak truth to this broken world of ours? Or should we just be silent? Are we to continue to speak the truth to a world who rejects the mere premise of our faith? Or should we just be silent? I think we all know the answer to that, right? We're told to continue to speak the truth. We're to speak the truth in love. We're we're to, to 
Portray love. Portray love as we tell the world what the scripture says that we're supposed to do, how we're supposed to live. I'm afraid that too often that we're afraid of how someone's going to respond, of whether or not we'll be rejected. But this week in one of my quiet times, I was reading and I was in Matthew chapter 5. The Sermon on the Mount. It's one of my favorite sections of Scripture. Matthew 5 to 7. I encourage you to memorize it. And it says this. That when, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. And we know what he taught them. The Sermon on the Mount. He told them exactly what his ministry would live out and how things were going to be. It was a hard teaching. Ran counter to their culture. Ran counter to everything that they had been taught. But then when I get to the end of it in verse 8, look what it says. When Jesus came down from the mountainside, chapter 8 I mean, when Jesus came down from the mountainside, what happened? Large crowds followed him. Sure, there were some who probably rejected it, some who didn't follow, but large crowds followed him. When we speak the truth in love, we should never discount the impact that the truth may have or the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the person who listens. So we cannot be silent. We have to continue to speak the truth of what the scriptures say. It's good that we remind ourselves of the reasons that this first letter to Timothy was written. Timothy was asked to lead the church in Ephesus. Ephesus was a tough place. It was a port city on the western edge of Turkey. And if you go there, thinking it's a port city, you look around and you say, where's the ocean? Where's the ocean? Well, over, over time, over the centuries, the ocean silted in the port and the harbor there. And so now Ephesus lies about six miles from the Aegean Sea. But in its day, it was considered the most significant Greek city and the most strategic trade center in that region of the Mediterranean. And Ephesus, like Corinth, was a place where people gathered. It was a carnal place. It's where the sailors stopped off. And where the salesmen passed through. Every debased and immoral thing you could imagine could be found at Ephesus. So it was a perfect place for a church. As I read this, I remembered a scene from Band of Brothers where Lieutenant George Rice says to the incoming major winners, Panzervision is about to cut off the road leading south. Looks like you guys are going to be surrounded. And Major Winters said to him, We're paratroopers, Lieutenant. We're supposed to be surrounded. We're the church, folks. 
And we're supposed to be surrounded. We're supposed to be in the middle of the fray so that we can be God's light and his beacon to a world who doesn't know him. Timothy had been assigned a task to minister in the lion's den. That was Ephesus. He was leading a church in a pre-Christian culture. And the people knew little of how to conduct themselves in God's way. Or what God's intention was for their lives. He said that we live in a post-Christian culture. Well, whether it's pre-Christian or post-Christian, there's another word for it. Pagan. Pagan. It's where a culture lives in direct opposition to the will of God. And that's where we are called to minister. So Paul's letter to Timothy is applicable not only to him, but to our situation as well. We are called to be God's light, God's beacon in this lost and dying world. In order to do that, we must be committed to conducting ourselves in a manner that pleases God, not the culture. And listen to me. We need to do less world watching and more Christ following. We need to get our news from the Bible and spend more time there. And less gathering news of the world and being intimidated by what we see and hear. We need to gain our inspiration from the Bible and not fear from the world in which we live because God's got our back. He's got our back when we live with intentionality in the way that he wants us to live. Paul was right about Jesus, and Timothy was right about Jesus. Paul had mentored Timothy for some 12 to 15 years, if my math is right. And Timothy was in his early 30s to mid-30s, maybe a little younger. He was likely about the age of Robert Cup when Robert started holding services here at Fellowship. There's a... There's a picture of him. Chris, you look a lot like him, brother. There he was. It's all right there. He was about that age. I told one of our staff recently, they were turning 34, and I said, you know, you're the same age Robert was when he was starting fellowship, and he looked at me with a blank stare, and he said, I guess I better get busy. <laughs> but Paul poured his life into Timothy. He had huge responsibility. So did Robert. Many of our younger staff were around that age. And in a while back, I recorded a podcast with Robert and Gary. It's the Ride Home Podcast. I recorded a podcast with Jim and Ann Arkins because the church started in their home and they were very instrumental. If you get a chance... Go back and listen to that. We, we want to hear what they had to say. We want to know our history and what our church was founded on, but we've got to look forward. We can learn from that in order to look forward and to see what God wants us to do. You know, our young staff, as I was mentioning, they hold a tremendous responsibility. A while back, our Bentonville junior high and senior high students gathered. Just, just Bentonville, junior high and senior high students gathered. And guess how many were there? 350. That's larger than most churches in America. And that's just one city and one group of students. 
Our, our younger staff hold a tremendous responsibility, and, and, and I hope you pray for them as they provide soul care for these young people. In chapter 5, where we are today of 1 Timothy, in chapter 5, verse 1, Paul addresses how various groups are supposed to live in the culture and how the church is to treat those various groups within their context. He talks about older and younger men and women, about honoring older widows, instructions for younger widows, about honoring preachers and teachers in their midst. And then there's a parenthesis of love for Timothy. And then the law of the harvest, as I call it, as he gets back to addressing those leaders who have strayed. And then he talks the relationship between slaves and their masters. And we'll get to that. But let's look at verse 1. He says, Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. Look at these family words in here. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters. It's about honor. You're going to see that thread running throughout this chapter. About honoring them. And, and if there was one word over these two verses, you'd say, it's family. You know, Denise and I were 29 years old when we came here. And you adopted us into your family here at Fellowship. We were about the size of that student ministry group that gathered back then. But you've made us your family and we thank you for that. But he tells Timothy not to rebuke an older man harshly. Don't be the young buck who has all the answers. Don't be the young buck who, who comes in and says, nah, we're doing it all wrong. Give wisdom and experience its due. As Timothy held his great responsibility in his, in his hands, he was to do so with dignity and respect to those whom he ministered and served. And then he addresses widows. He says, give proper recognition in verse 3 to those widows who are really in need. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, these should learn, first of all, to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family and so repaying their parents and grandparents. For this is pleasing to God. And on down in verse 8, he addresses this again. Anyone who does not provide for their relatives and especially their own household has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Those are strong words. We are to take care of our own family. But the church is to come in and surround those families too. And we do. We do. There was great concern in the early church for the widows. You see that back in the book of Acts. Deacons were established because the Greek-speaking Jews said that they felt the widows were being uh, forgotten and not being taken care of. And the apostles saw that and said, we've got to take care of this. And so the office of deacon, servant, was established in order to meet those needs. And keep in mind, as, as you read this section of Scripture, I'm not going to read every word of this section, but it, it talked about keeping a list of those who were over 60. Back in those days, the lifespan was a lot shorter than what we experience today. And if you were 60 years old, you, you had lived a good long life. And so they were to be put on a list to make sure that they were taken care of, if they met certain criteria. One of our staff told me about uh, his mother who had been... Uh, uh, placed in a facility where she could be cared for properly here in Northwest Arkansas. And he went to see her often, all the time. And the staff stopped him one day and said, thank you for coming to see her. 
And they said, we have people in this place and their families live in this area, but they may stop by twice a year, maybe. Doesn't that just sink your spirit? We are to take care of those around us who are in need. And then he talks about younger widows, encouraging them to remarry, that they wouldn't be put on that list necessarily. He gives warning to them about giving in to sensual desires, being idle or becoming busybodies. In a place like Ephesus, it would have been easy for them to be drawn into the culture. And so he encourages them to remarry. Evidently, there were some issues with younger widows in Ephesus. Here at Fellowship, we do our best to take care of those who have lost loved ones. Community groups surround them. Now, I don't know how many times I've been told by a widow or a widower, uh, when I ask them, is there anything that we can do for you? And they say, my community group has been incredible. They have provided meals. They've checked in on me. I mean, it just goes on for months and months of them looking after them. And I would stop here and say, you need to be a part of a community group. Everyone. That's what fellowship is all about, celebration and cell. If you just show up in this room and that's all you do from week to week is you're a part of this and you slip out the side door and no one knows it, when something tragic happens in your life, we may have no idea what happened and we can't help you. But if you're a part of that small group, it's a care network. So know the importance of being involved in a community group and you can always stop at our community group out in the foyer and just tell them, I want to be a part of a community group. And they're going to help you find a group. I promise you they will. So please do that. Lily Tibbon experienced the beauty of community here at Fellowship. A couple of years ago, her husband Roland died. He was a young man. Great guy. He was Marshallese. He interpreted for Springdale High School. None of us really understand. I understood why he had to contract this disease, pass away. But I sat down with Lily recently, and she recounted her story to me. Watch this. I have been at Fellowship since 2015. My husband, Roland, and my little one, Mia, had been looking for a church home. I grew up knowing about God. Once we became parents, I was really thirsty for the Word and just to know more about God. Throughout the whole year of 2015, my prayer was, God, show me more of you. And uh, in 2016, he definitely started answering that prayer. Um, Roland was diagnosed with leukemia. That year was very challenging. God just really pulled out things out of my life that I had been idolizing so much. It was April when Roland just really declined and ended up being admitted to Mercy, was given less than 10% chance of surviving, underwent chemo. It was around mid-May whenever he was discharged. At that moment, that's when I fully just surrendered to God. We knew he was going to undergo a transplant, and I remember I completely not knowing how we would, how I would eat being in St. Louis. Uh, we didn't have money to buy food every day at the hospital. 
and we were anticipating 100 days away from our little one. It didn't take long for the church to get connected with us. We just had people praying for us. I remember being overwhelmed by how many people reached out to us. And I remember having money from our church body that had been a blessing to provide meals every day. And God showed up so much throughout that year. The doctors were amazed at how well Roland had responded to the transplant. And in 2017, Roland went into remission. At the end of 2017, uh, Roland relapsed and our world shook. <laughs> I remember not knowing what lied ahead. He was taken to Little Rock for another round of chemo. After that, he came home and we knew that he was gonna go in a second round of a, a transplant. He got really critical and so I left my job and I left my daughter and I left my home all over again to go be with Roland. Uh, Roland didn't respond well to his transplant. Roland didn't respond well to anything. The doctor started letting me know that it was time to look into comfort care for him. Roland passed August of 2018, and my biggest fear came true, and that was to become a single mom. And that was scary. I had no idea how I would do it. God was there, and God has shown up. I just got to witness my little one, Mia, get baptized, and that was through Roland's passing, that she just completely also wanted to walk with Jesus. It's been hard, but God has been so good through it all so many sweet things that God did and used people as the hands and feet of Jesus through that. We had people just overflowing us with blessings and prayers and people came to visit us in St. Louis. We had meals paid for. We had our rent payment in St. Louis paid for. Um, I do remember this man, a good friend at that time, coming to the hospital and offering to pay our rent. And I had said no, because we were okay. And then he offered to buy me lunch, and I had said, no, it's okay. And then he offered to pay for my gas, and I had said, we're okay. And he just responded by, girl, don't rob me of my blessing. We had a couple take pictures of us. In so many ways, sweet friends, spending time to mentor and pour into us. It was really surprising to me how God had surrounded me by so many widows at that time that I didn't, didn't really realize. But their hurt that they went through one day was a blessing to me and the way God orchestrates friendships and relationships. Trust God, because He is good and nothing surprises Him. Through that entire ordeal, Roland never lost his smile, never questioned. Such an incredible attitude as he faced death. And he knew that we were going to look after Lily as well and make sure she had the things that she needed. And we were able to do that because of your generosity. We had another man who became a widower over the last year and a half uh, his wife passed away suddenly they had children 
And in that, we found out that she had lost her job sometime earlier. They were six months behind on their rent. He had no means to pay for a funeral. But we were able to take care of it and get his feet back on solid ground so he and his children could move forward. And that all happened because of your generosity. In 2008, we established a body needs fund where people, when they were in critical need, we were able to step in and help them financially. And some of them who have been helped have come back and have contributed that fund. And some of you still contribute to it. It's a real blessing that we are able to not just give lip service about care, but we're able to help them. Well, next in verse 17, Paul addresses the leaders of the church. The elders who direct the affairs of the church are worthy of double honor, he says, those whose work is preaching and teaching. And he goes on to talk about that we don't muzzle the ox, just treading out the grain. Uh, you know, we have incredible staff here at Fellowship. We are very, very blessed. Uh, they don't work here because of the money. They work because of their calling. I know them. I see their gifts. I see how hard they work. They're here day and night. They're out at ball games. They're everywhere you can possibly be making an impact. They could make a lot of money working elsewhere, but they are here fulfilling their calling. I hope you will tell them how much you appreciate them. And in verse 19, he says, Do not entertain an accusation against an elder unless it is brought by two or three witnesses. In other words, you know, don't just entertain an accusation because someone says something. Make sure there are witnesses to that. We've got to be careful. But in verse 20, he says, Those elders who are sinning, you are to reprove before everyone so that others may take warning. I charge you in the sight of God and Christ Jesus and the elect angels to keep these instructions without partiality and to do nothing out of favoritism. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands and do not share in the sins of others. And if you go back to chapter 1, you can see that they had problems with leadership in the church. And Timothy was to reprove them directly and publicly without showing favoritism or partiality. But know this, anytime there is reproval from our leadership, the goal is always reconciliation and restoration. Always. Always. We want to see people come back home and get their hearts right with God. One of the things I love about fellowship is the accountability and the checks and balances that we have in place when elders are chosen, when our leadership, we are led by elders. Our elders are nominated by you from the body. Once you read the qualifications and you nominate someone as elder, they come before our current elder board and we pray for weeks and weeks and weeks over those nominees. And then we present candidates back to you. And if there is one biblical objection from anyone in our body about one of those candidates presented, then they will be removed. It's a big thing for them to say, yes, I will be considered as an elder. I love that because of, as I said, the checks and balances and the level of accountability that's there. And his final statement is a warning for all of us to keep yourself pure. And then we see a parenthesis of care as Paul just sort of darts from what he's talking about and tells Timothy, don't drink the water. Have you ever been sick overseas where the flora and fauna or the water or the food, they just don't match up with your system? 
Well, back in this day, you have to remember that the water was not as pure as what we drink today. There were all sorts of amoeba and bacteria floating around. And Timothy evidently had stomach issues. And so he tells him, stop drinking only water and use a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent illness. He's not giving license to him to drink alcohol or, or to anyone else. But he wanted Timothy to be taken care of. His stomach problems could have been because he was leading a church. I don't know. Uh, but now he gets back in verse 24 to the sins of the leaders. He said, the sins of some are obvious, reaching the place of judgment ahead of them. The sins of others trail behind them. In the same way, good deeds are obvious, and even those that are not obvious cannot remain hidden forever. You see, all people are headed toward judgment. All of us, I should say. Some will carry their sins with them into judgment. Because they've not asked God to forgive them of their sins. They've not trusted Christ as their Savior. And others who have been forgiven and who have accepted the atoning blood of Christ to cover their sins. They carry their good deeds into judgment. He's telling them to move slowly. With intentionality. As leaders are established in the church. He says, don't be hasty in the laying on of hands. Because sometimes the sins of those leaders, if they're coming from another place, they may be trailing behind them and you not, may not be aware of it. Give them time. Give them time for you to get to know them. And then he talks about the slave and master relationship. He says, all who are under the yoke of slavery should consider their masters worthy of full respect so that God's name and our teaching may not be slandered. Those who have believing masters should not show them disrespect just because they are fellow believers. Instead, they should serve them even better because their masters are dear to them as fellow believers and are devoted to the welfare of their slaves. These are the things that you must teach and insist on. A better word that if you're reading ESV, uh, the English Standard Version, you may see that it uses the word bondservant. And bondservants sold themselves into slavery. Because they couldn't care for themselves, they, were, they sold themselves into slavery and they were cared for. But he also uses the word yoke, which tells me that it was a burden as well. The Greek word for slave here is the word servant, doulos. Remember that Paul often writes, remember this, he often writes in the context of addressing present circumstances. Was Paul endorsing slavery by not condemning it? No. It was the unfortunate, deplorable, present circumstance of that society under the Roman Empire. But Paul's greater concern was for any believer, whether bondservant, slave, free, male, female, Jew, Gentile, that regardless of their circumstance, that they would live in such a way that brought honor to other people and to God that they served. Why? Because that's eternal. And the same is true for us, regardless of our circumstance. Paul didn't emphasize the rights of individuals, but the responsibilities of individuals. Equality before God does not guarantee that all human beings enjoy equal roles in life status. He demands a change of attitude. 
I remember the first church where I served. Out my back window, there was an elementary school. And every day I would hear the morning bell for recess and all the kids would come pouring out of the rooms, yelling and screaming, and playing and running up and down the recess yard. But there was always one boy sitting in a wheelchair watching everybody else run and play. I was 21 years old and I remember thinking, that's not fair. It's just not but over the years, I've learned that life is not fair by our standards and through our lens. And that's why Paul deals so much with us in our present circumstances, that we are to give glory to God. You know, Johnny Erickson Tata is a perfect example of that young lady. No, she's not young anymore. She was a teenager when she became paralyzed, and she's been paralyzed for 40, probably almost 50 years. Been paralyzed in that wheelchair, and I'll never forget her saying, sometimes God allows what he hates in order to accomplish what he loves. Sometimes it's through our infirmity that we're called to give the greater glory to God. I think about... Timothy, you know, we, we hear the health, wealth gospel preachers and teachers saying that we should not be sick. And you think about Timothy having stomach troubles. I, I call it the Trovimus factor. In, in the last part of 2 Timothy, you'll read that Paul said, we left Trophimus in Miletus because he was sick. Well, if that's the case, Paul, why didn't you just say be healed? To Timothy, why didn't you just say be healed of this stomach issue you've got? It's because God allows us to go through difficult times in life so that we might glorify him. And we have to look for that. Honor. Honor in our relationships and honor to God. It shouts to the world that there is something different about us. Even when we're not speaking, we're saying something to the world. There is something different within us and it's really not that difficult to figure out this book guides us every step of the way we need to listen to what Paul is saying to Timothy when you talk about honor and decorum our nation has thrown it out the window and we don't need to follow that pattern we need to look differently and treat others as Christ has treated us. He has forgiven us of all our transgressions if we will allow him to. I remember this week Robert Fulgham's thought when I thought about how it's really not that difficult to live God's way. If we really just choose it, we're relying on it. But he wrote something all I really need to know I learned in kindergarten. Remember that? Number one, share everything. Number two, play fair. Number three, don't hit people. Number four, put things back where you found them. Number five, clean up your own mess. Stop elbowing them, ladies. Number six, don't take things that aren't yours. 
Number seven, say you're sorry when you hurt somebody. Number eight, wash your hands before you eat. Number nine, flush. <laughs> Number 10, warm cookies and cold milk are good for you. Number 11, live a balanced life. Number 12, take a nap every afternoon. Wouldn't that be nice? Number 13, when you go out into the world, watch for traffic. Watch out for traffic. Hold hands and stick together. That's a community group. When you're out in the world, we stick together. We find encouragement there. Number 14, be aware of wonder. Remember the little seed in the styrofoam cup. The roots go down and the plant goes up. And nobody really knows how or why. But we're all like that. When our roots go down, we grow up. Number 15, goldfish and hamsters and white mice and even the little seed in the styrofoam cup, they all die. And so do we. Folks, life is short no matter how long you live. And we would do well to follow Paul's teaching in this great letter to Timothy. Personify love. As we proclaim the truth. And we will not be silenced. Let's pray together. Take a moment just to be still. And remember that he is God. He is our father. Oh, Lord, we want to live in ways that are pleasing to you. Oh, Lord, we don't want to be silent. But sometimes we're intimidated in this world where we live. A culture that rejects the very premise of what we believe. But, Lord, do not let us forget that you have given us truth. That your Holy Spirit speaks in and through us. That we are to personify love while proclaiming truth. Help us to proclaim it in the marketplace. Help us to proclaim it in our homes. Oh Lord, help us to care well for those in our family. And those in our family of believers. You've given us a good word today. Help us to put it into practice. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. I encourage you, if you'd like prayer this morning, to stop by our prayer room. God bless you all. You have a wonderful day.